Hello, and welcome to the Why podcast from London Business School, where faculty talk about their research and what it means for you, business, and society. I'm your host, Katie Pisa, and for this episode, I'll be speaking with Alenka Turnsek. She's a partner at EY, based in London. She leads the EMEIA tax sustainability practice. In her role, she focuses on sustainability policy, green taxes and incentives, tax transparency, and tax aspects of emerging business models. She works with clients to identify relevant emerging regulations and the impact they would have on their operations, having previously worked on broader supply chain transformations. Alenka is the EY representative for the ICAEW Sustainability Committee. Hi, Alenka. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me today. It's great to have you. We're also joined by Marcel Aubert. He started his academic career as an assistant professor of accounting at London Business School in 2020. His work focuses on the effectiveness of tax and transparency regulation in changing corporate behavior, such as tax avoidance, cross-border investment, and sustainability. In his research, he leverages big and novel data and collaborates with experts worldwide. At LBS, he teaches in the core MBA curriculum. As a more recent passion, Marcel eagerly tries to disseminate business education and research content in an accessible form to a broad audience via podcasts and social media. It's great to have you here, Marcel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about our research and uh, industry uh, insights with Alenka. Yes, Alenka, could you start off by explaining a bit about the role of taxes in the implementation of sustainability policies? What can you tell us? How are they helping us transition towards a more sustainable economy? Uh, Yes, of course. So maybe we just start with saying that we broadly have uh, four different policy areas in the sustainability arena. So we have environmental that look generally after the pollution, biodiversity, mitigating climate change. We have social ones so look about reduced poverty, inequality and human rights. Then we have governance. It's all about the transparency, accountability. And of course, all of that is brought together in the economics package to promote economic growth and sustainable development. And how governments then go about implementing those policies is broadly speaking four different buckets of instruments. So the first one is regulations. They tend to reduce, ban or regulate a particular aspect or any of those areas. Then we have market pricing and this is where taxes come in. So market pricing has got the fiscal elements or taxes and levies and it's got a non-fiscal elements or cap and trade systems like emission trading system. We have an incentive bucket, really important one. There's also a fiscal part to that, so the uh, subsidies or tax credits, and we have a non-fiscal one in terms of grants. And the fourth one is then the transparency. So tax is one of the four, and it is very important drive in terms of changing of the uh, behaviors. And then, of course, when we look at all these different policies, uh, we see different regions or different countries around the world using a different mix. So EU and the EU Green Deal is probably one of the most comprehensive examples of how all these four different buckets come together. Uh, And it's based on research. More effective policy implementation is where the um, four instruments work together effectively. If you then look at more towards the US, they tend to focus towards the incentives. And if you look at towards the Asia Pacific, they tend to look more regulations, but they are beginning to introduce more incentives, but also taxes. So hopefully that sets a scene in terms of where taxes fit in. Sure. Thank you. Um, Marcel, why are we paying so much attention to this now? And can you add your advice to that? Yeah, I mean, focusing a little bit uh, on taxes, why is taxation a super important policy element of uh, of that wider spectrum uh, Alenka pointed to? Um, 
let me make a couple of, of notes uh, about that, like kind of the goals and effectiveness of tax policies in general, in particular on the road towards a more uh, sustainable uh, business world. Taxes, corporate taxes have been around for at least 5,000 years. So why is this now so relevant uh, in mitigating climate change? I mean, at a very high level, um, taxes have at least two functions. Um, they serve as a tax revenue collection tool for governments. And we all know that governments need very stable public finances, for example, to fund the transition towards a greener economy. Just think about all the commitments governments uh, make at the COP uh, meetings. Someone has to pay for these uh, public uh, expenditures and that typically comes in through um, tax revenue. So tax is a very important tool here to also help indirectly at least um, via public uh, financing. And second, taxes are a very powerful tool to incentivize taxpayers to engage in a certain behavior. And what's more relevant um, today more than ever is to become cleaner and more sustainable. And I'm currently uh, working on a review of hundreds of academic uh, studies with my colleague uh, Rebecca Lester from Stanford. And what I can tell here is what we know from research is that taxes provide very powerful tools in terms of um, stipulating uh, corporate behavior, in particular investment. We see that when after-tax costs of investment decrease because firms get tax credits or lower tax rates, firms invest significantly more at home and importantly also abroad which means that reducing taxes uh, on certain investments in a country like the UK can even have positive spillover effects on investment in the broader economy, for example, uh, in developing countries. And now bringing this more specifically um, down to um, the arena of sustainability and, and climate change, uh, it becomes evident that we can use tax policies to incentivize uh, green investments. Just think about the Inflation Reduction Act, um, the key, the landmark um, policy introduced by um, Biden's um, President Joe Biden's uh, government in 2022. This one entails a host of tax-based uh, stimuli for green investment, mostly through tax credits. And the value, the estimated value of these tax credits for over the next 10 years is more than 600 billion US dollars. Can I, can I just ask, how is that measured? How... Is it estimates or is, how, how do you track something that hasn't existed before? How do you give a number to that? Yes, policymakers, when uh, proposing a policy change, governments have to estimate what the fiscal cost is uh, of that. And um, then there are probably um, two key estimates that go into. One is pretty certain how high as a proportion is the tax credit we give for something. And then an estimate of the uptake, how much will companies invest to get the tax credit. Um, and basically then the 600 billion estimate is a product of, of these two. So let me give you two examples how, how these tax credits work um, in, in the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, there is uh, a very prominent credit for production of electricity from renewable sources. So companies uh, get 30 cents of a tax rebate for every 100 kilowatts they produce via um, clean technologies. And the second key example is a credit for investment in, for example, renewable energy projects. And that investment credit is 6% of the investment cost. So if you invest in a new solar panel field for your company, which is worth 1 million US dollars, you would get 60,000 US dollars in uh, tax rebate. So has the uptake been strong? How long has it been, um, have there been these incentives? In, in the US specifically, uh, the regulation is now one year old and there's kind of a stock take of that. And um, there's, you could even call it overinvestment. So the response is very, very strong uh, to these incentives within the US. Um, so I think there's a clear sign that this uh, policy can contribute um, to uh, mitigate climate change. 
but we also have similar policies in the EU, like R&D tax credits, R&D incentives for research and development investments have been around for a long time, not specifically focusing on green technologies, but also supporting uh, green technologies. And that's also why more recently governments uh, in Europe um, try to implement more of these policies. As we speak, um, the German government and the German parliament is considering uh, an ambitious tax policy package um, to be implemented in 2024 uh, to foster investments uh, in green technologies and innovation through, in particular, research tax credits. Not quite as ambitious um, as Inflation Reduction Act uh, in the US, uh, but similar in spirit. Is Germany leading the way in the EU? Would you say they're the, the leaders? Uh, I wouldn't uh, go that far. Uh, and one reason is, and well, I think I can say that uh, being from Germany, so we don't even have a carbon tax. It's, it's one of the fewer countries uh, in Europe that uh, does not impose a direct tax on polluting. And here I think the front runners are clearly uh, the Scandinavian countries that have implemented carbon taxes already in the 90s and where carbon taxes are also relatively high like 70 to 100 euros uh, per metric ton, uh, whereas in countries like the UK or other countries with carbon taxes, they are fairly low, I would say, with around 20 euros per metric ton. Okay. And what, what is the UK doing? As we're here in London, what, what can you tell us that UK is doing right or what, have, what progress have they had? At, at least the UK has a, has a climate levy, and, and I'm, I'm sure Alenka can uh, elaborate a little bit more on that. There's also capital allowance or super depreciation, if you want, so for investments that would also apply uh, to green investment. And uh, 2023 um, green uh, finance strategy is certainly also uh, contributing um, to a policy package that, that tries to help uh, the economy become cleaner. That one is focused more on disclosure uh, and accountability. Uh, but maybe Alenka wants to chime in uh, here as well. Yes, we do have an emission trading system, which we've set up along once we've left the, the EU. So it's tracking a number of industries, not as broad as the current expansion in the EU. So that really is uh, not only taxing the um, the CO2 emissions, but it's also trying to reduce them at the same time. So it's, uh, you could say, it's probably a better measure in the medium term, but it's not complemented with the carbon taxes, which is what you would see in the continent. Okay, great. Thank you. To reiterate, Marcel, um, we know from research, as you've said, that the responses by companies to such stimuli are very large. So you're, you're positive, you're hopeful that this will drive more green investment. I am, I am. But in terms of what we know so far from, let's say, hardcore academic, empirical, well-executed papers, um, is a bit uh, less optimistic, uh, I would say. So there are a couple of studies that have um, analyzed the impact of carbon taxes uh, on corporate investment, in particular pollution uh, by companies. And it is not clear that carbon taxes in uh, Europe or also in Canada have had a significant impact on uh, reducing pollutions. Uh, why is that the case? Well, first, it's, it's hard to identify in empirical studies what specifically the carbon tax did, as it usually comes as part of a broader policy change, as Alenka uh, has pointed out. So it's a bit hard to say how much did uh, carbon tax really uh, contribute um, to environmental um, change. That's why much more research is needed um, to find out which policy tools are the most effective 
uh, ones in terms of changing behavior, but also cost effective uh, for, for governments. The reason, second reason might also be that carbon taxes are fairly low, as I said. Um, they're hovering around 20 to 40 euros per metric ton uh, in, uh, in Europe. So maybe the incentive is not strong enough to reduce pollution uh, if, it's, uh, if it's still a positive NPV project um, to uh, burn uh, fossil fuels. Maybe another risk uh, I want to mention here. If we talk about tax policies, these are typically domestic policies because governments have the sovereign right to impose uh, taxes. It's somewhat hard to harmonize this uh, cross-border. We have good examples. We, we come back to this uh, later. But again, these policies are domestic, which bears the risk of uh, carbon leakage in the, in the setting of carbon taxes. What does this mean? Um, if a company like Germany now were to impose a new and high carbon tax, German multinational firms, of course, have the option, and that's not illegal at all, to outsource their pollution by shifting operations, shifting activities to other less regulated markets, to a country where there's no such uh, a carbon tax. And in some research I have with, with Diego Kanzig from Northwestern and Julian Marins from, from LBS, we find preliminary evidence that this happens. So when carbon taxes were introduced in Europe and became higher, also um, that also applies to the cap and trade system, then multinational firms tend to um, pollute more and produce more in developing countries, in particular in Africa, uh, where environmental policies are uh, less stringent. So I think uh, we also need to um, talk about um, transnational policies to mitigate uh, carbon leakage. And I think key, key here is the carbon, uh, carbon border um, adjustment mechanism uh, that's now being implemented uh, in the uh, European Union. Yes, that leads us to our next point. Alenka, could you, could you tell us a bit more about CBAM? And you know, to an audience who may not understand it quite as well as you, can you tell us what's happening in that space, what it is and what is happening? The carbon border adjustment mechanism has been in Latin academic circles and in debate circles for a long time, but EU, as uh, Marcel said, has put it in effect from uh, 1st of October this year, with the first returns being due end of January. It is quite a revolutionary measure, probably but also quite controversial potentially. And what it does, it looks at the carbon intensity of a product when it's imported into EU, and for the time being, we only have a reporting requirement in terms of the intensity of certain products, and I'll come to that in a minute, being imported in the EU. But from uh, 2026, there will be also a charge on per ton of carbon embodied in those particular categories. And that price will be the same as the price at the emission trading system at the time. So where now the price is quite high, we expect like in a year and a half, it's going to be even higher. So to start with, the reporting is on five categories. So we have iron, steel, aluminium, fertilizers, electricity, hydrogen. We are expecting uh, that by 26, that will increase. So poly certain polymers, paper, pulp, etc. So the, the categories will expand. Uh, and even though I said certain the categories today are actually reasonably limited, what we are finding that the industry that impacts are not. So a lot of industries you think that even you actually think this impacts the construction, industrial manufacturing, uh, mining, uh, technology companies, and it will be correct. But it also impacts other companies, the service companies, retail companies, because they all somewhat have in their stores products made of aluminium and steel. Because the way this works is on a certain customs code, and it does catch some downstream products. Like to give you an example, a screw. A lot of companies would import certain screws, and it, that's why it impacts certain industries. Wouldn't think of. 
And right now it's reporting requirement, as I said, and it's quite an administrative burden on companies because they need to really have the visibility down the supply chain and a little bit struggle with some of that and it takes a bit of different working with suppliers. Going forward, there'll be a charge. So for some industry that is quite significant and they will need to really rethink the products, the production, the supplier, the supply chain. So it is really, really impactful measure. I would argue probably one of the most impactful measures that have been introduced in the area of green taxes. So this, I imagine, will see you very busy as, as people will come to you for advice um, and what to do, how to handle this. This could change industries massively in, yes. in overnight, really. Yeah, and it's incredibly multifunctional, so we shouldn't forget that it's, it's not just, although we talk about this as a statutory in- instrument, technically it's not really a green tax, but it really requires the purchasing department, the supply chain department, the design department sometimes to get together to understand that supply chain, to work with the suppliers, to get this information and to think about going forward once the charge applies, what are we going to do? And that's just EU. We also know the UK has had a consultation on CBAM and it's thinking about introducing it probably about 2026 at the same time as the charge coming to EU and it expands. We had Canada done the consultation. US has muttered about introducing border tax. Then we have uh, Switzerland is considering it. We have Australia a few weeks ago said they'll be considerate. So we have a uh, number of, I'll say, developed countries, the higher consumption countries, considering this type of taxes. So you see now that globally, if you get the number of countries considering that charge, that also impacts on countries that are exporting or the, the origin countries. And they will need to think about whether we should introduce the carbon pricing, because why would you really pay an the um, importing country the the charge on the uh, embodied carbon if you really could tax that domestically and then get a deduction from CBAM uh, on the import in in the CEU in this case. So we could see in the next five to ten years some really significant changes in the way that business around the world is done because of this. Yes and and other complementary measures uh, that we discussed before yeah. Very interesting. If I might add a point I think it will not only affect businesses um, as the cost and complexity of operating globally uh, increases. I think this will also have um, spillover effects on policies, as Alenka said. Like this, the idea of uh, this more multilateral, multilateral measure, even if only introduced in the EU, is also to incentivize more green policies in countries not yet considering them. Like putting the burden uh, on uh, countries with laxer environmental uh, policies. So in that sense, it works a little bit like um, the mechanism behind the global uh, corporate minimum tax now, pillar two of the OECD. If we have time, I think we will come back uh, to this topic later. So very powerful tool, even if only implemented in the EU or even unilaterally, if a country is economically powerful enough, like maybe Canada and the US, because it has the potential Um, to have trickle-down effects on policies worldwide. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you for explaining all that. Um, Brings us to the next point of horizon scanning um, and how we are expecting the outcomes of the New York Climate Week, the first global stock take, and COP28 to influence carbon pricing regimes. Um, what, What do you think about this? What is the role of tax in this? So with horizon scanning, we're trying to do is look forward in terms of what policies have countries already um, put out there that they're trying to address. Because we, we've primarily talked about the climate-related policies here, but there's a whole range of other sustainability-related policies. So what companies are trying to do is understand what is the policy aim of a particular country that they have dealings with, and to the extent that they can, how is that going to get implemented so they can actually prepare. 
So this is companies trying to understand how the world is moving and the territories they affected, in what area, and how do they react to that. So they are, have a resilient supply chain and they're prepared for that change. That's what we mean by kind of horizon scanning. Thank you. From a business perspective. So, but the starting point is always like, where are we today? And today we already know this. We, we have already started. So green taxes aren't new, and Marcel said. They go back to think carbon taxes back to 1990s. We have today over 3,000 green taxes. We have over 2,000 different incentives and over 1,000 different exemptions that, that have been uh, in, in place, let alone what we expect to come. To come. And of course, most of them are going to be in a climate area because other policy areas we haven't really addressed. So we are absolutely expecting a rise in resource use, circular economy is the next one, pollution-related measures, biodiversity, water, so natural resources, and then probably something around the food systems, lifestyle. So all of that is still to come. And if you think about all these policies areas and all these different instruments that uh, government have at their disposal, which will have to obviously reflect the economic situation in the countries, all of that is what countries really, or companies, excuse me, really need to monitor so they are ready, depending on the industry, depending on their geographical profile. And um, if we talk about the different stock takes, so we had all these various stock takes in September, seems to have been the months of uh, report releases. So the uh, global stock take, which comes uh, as the first one after the Paris Agreement, uh, hasn't really been very positive. In fact, probably the headline news is we're not really heading for below 1.5 if we're even heading to below 2 degrees. So um, that's not great. So that might intensify, and uh, I think we'll probably see a discussions at the COP28, more discussions about a commitment of increasing the national determined contribution by countries that will then manifest itself in the policies, instruments, and hopefully in the implementation. So that was the environmental side, and of course, everything with climate is also related to the environment, so uh, and uh, biodiversity, natural resources, so all of that wasn't very positive either. Then we also had a report on uh, SDGs. The, that was also in September, so on a social sphere, we're also not progressing. In fact, we actually are behind where we were before uh, COVID. So there's quite a bit to do there and a lot of financial commitment for going forward. So we are really expecting that the so focus on a social sustainability to increase, to become at par with the environmental, particularly on climate, because we do need to look at this transition. Uh, we need to look at a just transition when we look at the addressing climate and addressing energy transition. Uh, and then, of course, when you talk about the uh, New York Climate Week, there's a great forum for companies to come together, and that's exactly what happened. There was a recognition that climate and biodiversity are the two sides of the same coin, so we're finally bringing that together because we do need to address it together. We talked about the, the social side, so the inclusivity and the, the fairness, the equity. So we are raising the, the bar into that. And, of course, and then we are looking towards what does that mean for COP, unsurprisingly, renewables, energy efficiency, and then... Uh, moving the world from where we are today from a uh, socially equitable way towards the uh, new ways of operating with a lot of financial commitments. Thank you, Alenka. Marcel, do you have anything to add to what Alenka has just shared with us? Um, yes, maybe thinking about um, the topic of today's uh, podcast, taxes more broadly and environmental regulations, uh, I think we need to temper the expectations uh, here a little bit. Um, the reason is that um, what policymakers and business leaders do at COP uh, meetings or COP28 and specifically is focusing on high-level goals and commitments. Alenka mentioned financial commitments and specific goals, net zero by a certain year. The 
our topic of today and all the policies we have mentioned are, of course, extremely powerful, extremely important, but to be honest, a little bit in the weeds, quite technical. And at the end of the day, these policies have to implement have to be implemented at the domestic level. And that's why I would not expect um, uh, discussions about specific designs of tax policies, how to get to net zero uh, at these uh, high level uh, meetings. That's maybe a little bit disappointing for us being super interested in these topics, but I think understandable. Uh, however, uh, I think there was uh, a very nice blueprint uh, again on how to do that. We had in 2021 uh, a somewhat surprising agreement at the OECD level by more than 130 countries to implement a global corporate minimum tax rate of 15%. That's absolutely unprecedented um, happening at the OECD level, so a meeting like uh, COP28, and now being implemented uh, at the domestic level. So while no specific policies are maybe discussed uh, at COP28, I think the commitment and the momentum and credible commitments are extremely important um, for follow-on um, changes in domestic policies. Climate is perceived as the primary focus for action, but it is not the only policy area that governments are focusing on. What other policy areas are emerging that interact and support the climate policy and the role of tax in them? Um, yes, so maybe let me mention um, a topic I'm very passionate about, uh, which has gained a lot of momentum, which is international corporate profit taxation and transparency about uh, corporate uh, tax affairs. So as I already mentioned, uh, we had the 2021 agreement on the global corporate minimum tax rate. It's unprecedented, very new. And this was a cul culmination, uh, if you want so, of discussions and concerns since the global financial crisis about companies, in particular multinational companies, not paying their fair share in taxes worldwide. You were seeing relatively low effective tax rates, meaning for 100 US dollars, a, uh, a high-tech company uh, would make in profits. These companies worldwide were paying 3 to $10 uh, dollars, uh, in taxes. This was perceived as uh, too low. So that's um, somewhat the social aspect of ESG here. Um, companies uh, should be um, corporate citizens that contribute to sustainable um, public finances. As I have mentioned, sustainable public finances are absolutely key in achieving uh, sustainability and, and climate change goals because governments are the key actors in incentivizing companies and directly spending on um, environmental uh, change. And transparency, likewise, here we have a lot of developments, um, policy developments at the international and domestic levels pushing uh, multinational companies in the EU, for example, with uh, revenues of 750 million and above, that's already a medium-sized company, to become more transparent about their global operations, not only operations, where do, in, where do these companies invest, employ people, use resources, but in particular, how much taxes do, company pay, do companies pay in each and every country. So here I think it is clear um, that business taxes are becoming more and more on the agenda of the social and also governance uh, uh, issues. But as I said, that's directly linked to um, climate change and financing uh, climate change uh, as well. Alenka, do you have anything to share on this as well in your line of work? I mean, what, what do you have to say to what Marcel's just told us? Just maybe just to build on that. And um, if, if we look at a slightly different areas other than the climate uh, in terms of 
the, the, the that we think is going to come into the implementation next. So circular economy and uh, resource preservation, biodiversity, and then kind of food systems linked to lifestyles and ingredients taxation. Uh, so we've so far had, I, I would say, um, well thought through overall perspective, but we implemented a lot of policy, a little bit of a piecemeal. So I think we might be just going into different, how different areas work together and how different instruments might actually come together to give us, how shall I say, implement twice, get to three times the outcome, hopefully. Uh, and if I can just look at the circular economy from that perspective, there is kind of a lot of complementarity and supporting reduction of CO2 emissions through implementing uh, circular economy measures. And what that actually means is keeping the products alive for longer going through more life cycles so not just produce use and discard but going through the repair cycles if we're talking about products that can be repair or um, using a better design so we can repair it using better materials so they can be recycled or they can be reused as a as a once discarded by one product as an input into another product so it's we, i think we need to put a lot more thought in what products we're putting out in the markets how we're designing them how we're using them so that we reduce that overall resource exploitation uh, that is probably currently at a little unsustainable levels but also all the emissions that are required uh, the particularly the upstream of the creation of the product and then also to reduce waste because that is our other issue our biggest issue really is the pollution so we're poisoning ourselves and our planet slowly if we can remove that through circular economy then i think that we already see a double benefit so that's quite important and of course circular economy just like climate very important to have the regulations we need to have some boundaries set and we see that if i just give you an example of packaging is one of the high risk or high priority industries for circular economy and that is alongside electronics textiles and other industries but it all operate in a similar way so in packaging the regulation would say you need to have a certain percentage of recycled content you, you need to you must not use certain certain ingredients and that is basically setting the boundaries for activities it will start the innovation so there's an enormous amount of incentives that are pouring into circular economy uh, and the process in the materials but also in business models actually in operating differently uh, and of course we've had a number of taxes so in the UK we've introduced plastic packaging tax that is discouraging the use of plastic uh, in the packaging itself and then of course you get the rebate or the taxes in there if you have over 30% recycle tax so that's great that's the upstream side we then said also on the downstream side extended producer responsibility so the company placing products with packaging on the market then has to pay a fee corresponding to the weight of the um, to the packaging to clean up the waste so that is also a way of discouraging it through taxes and changing the behavior so all of that is you got all elements in in that plastic packaging and that is just one small element of circular economy I'm not doing a full justice but I'm really super excited about that and it's probably under underestimating just how much of a bigger transformation or change circular economy will bring that perhaps you think through the climate change policies uh, maybe on the biodiversity uh, I'd argue it's one of the biggest areas we need to address. It is, of course, complementary to the climate. Of course, it's complementary to circular economy, but it's less mature because it's incredibly complex. Um, it also has a slightly less developed uh, tool set. So there's not so many regulations in place. I mean, interestingly, we're leading with transparency. So TNFD has put out the framework in September that has been widely accepted, not mandatory, but it's trailing the, the carbon disclosures. So that's quite amazing. But we've already had quite a few green taxes, levies and charges in place in a number of countries, but they are not as impactful as we see them in climate. They are not as coordinated, but nonetheless, we have all the elements there. So what we're really hoping for the biodiversity is to get the more comprehensive, higher profile measures. And of course, just like climate, natural resources, we buy them from all over the world. So you do require some sort of international collaboration to have that addressed. 
Absolutely. But is are there are there certain companies that have been um, used as examples that they're doing this well, or um, is it not a company? Is it rather a country, or how how are we seeing measurements and and sort of is there a, is there a recognition out there for people who are making these things happen and companies who are doing the right thing? So um, I would say there are a number of companies, so probably wouldn't do justice for me to just list a few. There are a number of, of companies, they are trailblazing. They, uh, I'll say actually increasing number of companies do completely understand that um, one needs to work in harmony with the environment, with nature, address social issues, so that there is a one supply chain resistance. Supply chain resilience is number one, but two is social license to operate increasingly more. The consumers are demanding, or customers are demanding, to, um, the transparency of companies' activities, and they will get that through the CSRD, so corporate. Uh, uh, sustainability reporting directly coming to EU. It's incredibly broad and asking companies to literally report on every aspect around E, S and G of their operations. So if not before, the CSRD will ask companies to actually even push the, the uh, focus on a strategy and operations even more. And I should say there are a number of companies today, they are already doing that. It's just that what's, what EU is doing and the um, other uh, other frameworks uh, SEC in the US and ISSB uh, internationally they're all kind of going the same path they're asking companies to be transparent across ESG activities and that is actually requiring companies uh, and encouraging companies I would say to put more and more ESG um, and sustainability considerations in their uh, strategy and the operations. Thank you, Alenka. It's really interesting because um, I'm sure in your day-to-day work, you, you this is what you do for a living, so you know more than us. But um, Marcel, what do you think from an academic point of view of what Alenka's just told us? Um, what What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm, I'm also very, as Alenka, very excited about these new developments around tax policies to uh, stimulate a more circular uh, economy. So I, I share the excitement uh, here, uh, but from an academic um, standpoint, uh, we have yet to see uh, how effective um, these policies are, if the financial incentives are strong enough. Um, and that's great for me that's great that creates jobs uh, for uh, for academics to really analyze these rules and the impacts we need this uh, in order to inform policymakers are these the correct tools effective tools cost efficient um, tools to stimulate change so that's one thing very new developments and so far it's still uh, hard to see how effective they are so much more research needed which is great but also shows we are still uh, at the very beginning and then Alenka has mentioned one very very important development which is an increase in transparency not so much the tax transparency I have mentioned but transparency about uh, supply change uh, supply chains um, sorry so the idea here is to use not specific rules say okay um, pollute less or don't engage in uh, child labor uh, somewhere but um, not use specific rules because sometimes specific actions are very hard to regulate worldwide, but use transparency as a powerful tool to then let market forces shape corporate behavior. What does this mean? Companies have to disclose where do we operate, how, how sustainable are our supply supply chains, and then everyone, customers, employees, investors, maybe most importantly, we'll see what is going on within the company, upstream, downstream, and uh, within the company. And then the idea is here um, to have managers and and companies respond to market forces, meaning that maybe a sustainable 
investors or investors interested in sustainable uh, investing will withdraw capital uh, from these companies so companies have an incentive to change or maybe uh, talent uh, employees don't want to work for a specific company if the supply chain looks pretty unsustainable that's that year i think these transparency uh, initiatives um, that have been pushed more in the eu for example compared to the uh, us are very important and powerful um, however they cannot be the only um, tool the only regulation because we are running behind uh, as alenka has said and i think uh, regulation is still key to in particular change immediately the financial incentives for companies to invest uh, in um, sustainable uh, technologies and reduce pollution. Excellent. Thank you. So I'm, I'm feeling a bit inspired by both of you. I mean, I have been working on this topic for several weeks and well, months, I should say, and, and it's there's so much um, doom and gloom. And but hearing from both of you has given a glimmer of hope, I would say. Um, what that leads us to probably my, my last point. Um, could you give some perspectives and expectations of what you think will come out of COP28? Um, any hopes, wishes, expectations, Alenka? So for my perspective, if I look at business, it's um, collaboration. No company can do any of this on its own, and no doubt uh, there will be new objectives set, but uh, it's, it's within sector and cross-sector collaboration, so we do it once and benefit several times. And uh, that's a new way of, for companies are working. It's been emerging for some time, but uh, hopefully it can be strengthened because that really will accelerate what we're trying to do with or without regulation, but, uh, um, but for the greater benefit. Fantastic. Marcel, do you have any thoughts? Yes, um, as I've already uh, said, the, the goals and uh, the stock take being discussed is more uh, high level, too high level for individual researchers uh, like me to assess uh, specific policies. Of course, I would hope specific policies to, to be discussed. But what I would hope in general as an academic is um, that science and scientific evidence is taken seriously uh, because uh, the science in terms of the natural science are crystal clear. Um, climate change uh, cannot be ignored. And also we have pretty good evidence uh, what can work. And with respect to carbon taxes and the cap and trade system, we know it can be effective, but financial incentives need to be large enough. And last but not least, as Alenka has pointed out, um, transparency is also uh, very, very powerful. And we have evidence that transparency uh, can work in stipulating certain uh, corporate behavior. So I hope that uh, at these high level meetings, uh, research and scientific, uh, scientific evidence is acknowledged um, and that then domestic policymakers push more uh, for the most effective um, policy designs. Thank you both for this inspiring conversation today. Uh, it's it's given me a bit of positivity to leave the room with and, and hope for the future. Um, I know there's a long way to go, but you've both shed some light on some really important issues around how we need to move forward and what the outcome could be if we get this right. So thank you very much for joining me for the Y podcast. It's been a pleasure. Alenka, thank you. Thank you, Katie. It's been an exciting conversation. And thank you, Marcel. It's thank great you to very have much. you here. Thank you very much for having me. It was also very inspiring. Thank you very much. The Why podcast is brought to you by the editorial team of Think at London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For more faculty research insights, go to london.edu think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get updates on our latest publications direct to your inbox. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to leave us a review or a rating, which helps new listeners find us.